biblical evidence for the deity of Christ. And this is a subject we've seen before. And um, I guarantee it's one of those subjects we will see again. Is it's, it's, it's critical to the gospel. It's critical to um, <clears throat> Christianity, period. I'm going to start, start with John 1, 1 through 4. I'm just going to read it and then go back and look through, look through it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. I'm going to go one more. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay. In the beginning, the Greek anarche refers to the beginning of time, as in creation. Now, that same Greek term, in the beginning, anarche, is used in the Septuagint to translate in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the exact same, exact same Greek used for Genesis 1-1, translating as the Hebrew rendering in the Septuagint, let me back up then. The Septuagint is the Old Testament Hebrew translated into Greek. Okay, that's the Septuagint. So the, and the New Testament was originally written in Greek. So when we look at John 1.1, 1, 1, written en arche for in the beginning, uh, I'm just pointing out the fact that en arche was the exact, Greek used to translate in the beginning from the Hebrew for the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay, which, by the way, was the prominent Old Testament of that day, of the first century. Okay. Now you get into the word was. Now was, now I'm going into more detail than I normally do, uh, just because we've been here a lot, and I'm just time to dig in a little bit deeper. Was, Emi, is in the imperfect tense describing past continuous action. In other words, when creation took place, the word was already in existence. See, because some, and so that's, that's where all these grammatical uh, terms are, are, are important. That's why we, <clears throat> when we study scripture, the, the principle for studying scripture is called the Grammatical, historical, or historical grammatical, however you want to phrase it, where you want to look at this historical setting, it's grammatical setting, and find out, okay, what do these words mean? Especially like John, for example, what do these words mean in first century Greek? Okay? The, <clears throat> some of these words aren't the same today. Now, the, uh, <clears throat> this, this depicts Jesus as possessing the Back to our study, when we look at the attributes, possessing the incommunicable attribute of eternality. Jesus is eternal. This is a verse, a passage that points to Jesus as being eternal. And remember back to the attributes that uh, Jesus then has possesses that incommunicable attribute of being eternal. Incommunicable means an attribute that is only speaks of God. It is not shared with anybody else we will live forever once we're born but we not we're not internal as god is eternal having always existed without any beginning 
See, that's being eternal. Okay, see the point there? And so <clears throat> when creation happened, Jesus, because we know the word is referring to him, was, was there. He was there. And then the, the grammatical setting of the word being imperfect means he was there, always there. Okay, it's not because see some false systems teach that well he was created just before the creation and then was allowed to create no 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 the grammatical tense that won't go for that it's it's written that he was there always there and when creation happened he was still there as a matter of fact we're going to look we'll look down and when we get to verse three we'll see he in fact was the creator now. Another one about attributes, the incommunicable attributes. Let's look at Isaiah 9. This is one that's going to be popping up come Christmas time. <laughs> just like Herbie, just pops up. Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulder, <clears throat> and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Remember, these are all titles for that child to be born, which we know as Jesus, right? <clears throat> and then Micah 5.2. That's uh, one of the minor prophets. If you can find Jonah, is the next one. Micah 5.2. <clears throat> but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for, for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Again, pointing to the eternality of Christ himself. <clears throat> and like we've already said, verse 3 declares Jesus as the creator. And then the next phrase in John 1, 1 is, the word was with God, and that literally means face-to-face -face as co-equals. It literally means that face-to-face -face as co-equals. So again, this is such a strong verse. And this is why this verse is attacked <laughs> by those that just deny the deity of Christ. And it literally is. Um, <clears throat> are you saying the Word and God are face-to-face? -face? In the beginning was the Word. Now the Word in John chapter 1 refers to Jesus. The context of John chapter 1. When you read the Word, we're talking about Jesus. Where it says the word, huh? Uh, move to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. <clears throat> glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Also, when it talks about the word, you see back in, in verse well, in verse 2, where it says, um, He was in the beginning with God. Again, you've got personal pronouns describing the word. So the word is a individual. And what individual is it? Well, in the context of the whole gospel of John, it can be only one person, and that's Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the, yes? In Greek, did they have periods and stuff here? Because in Hebrew, they didn't, right? But in Greek, did they? 
the, it flowed. It's Greek is it, in big boxes. Okay, and when you translate it in there, uh, we add periods and exclamation points and things like that. They had, when you see some of the original manuscripts, they're in big blocks. All caps, no spaces. Very interesting in translation. <laughs> yeah. So. No. And then that final phrase in, in verse 1, and the word was God. That's the one... <clears throat> The word was God, and the Greek appears theos in hologos, logos. This translation, okay, is demanded by the Greek structure. Now, I'm going to read through this as slow as I can. I mean, not slow, as slow as I can. I'm not, I don't go that slow. But I'm going to read through it slowly and um, see if you can get the point of it anyway. I'm not trying to give a Greek lesson here at all. I just want to let you know that the scholars out there for centuries have looked at this. And um, <clears throat> anyway, let's go through it. Now, heretical groups for centuries have twisted the meaning of these four Greek words. They say because theos, which is the word for God, is not preceded by the definite article, it should be translated the word was divine that's the best they're going to give us, thus watering down the force of the statement, saying the word possessed some qualities of God, okay, but not necessarily all of them. And then others say it should be translated the word was a God, like our present-day Jehovah Witnesses, for example, okay, which they take it one step further away from the truth. Now, the absence of the definite article before theos does, not, does no such thing. The absence of the definite, definite article before theos is found four other times in, in the immediate context. Namely, verse, verse 6, for example. There came a man sent from God. No, no the there. So whose name was John? So if they're going to be consistent with that rule, they should say there was a man sent from a God. And even in the Jehovah Witness Bible, they, they do it right. And then verse 12, but as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, not children of a God. Same lack of an article. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, or of the flesh, nor of the, excuse me, <clears throat> the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, not of a God. See? And then 18, and, and there's more, but I figure this is enough. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who was in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. So again, God without the article, no reason to translate it a God. That, that rule <clears throat> is uh, invented. Now, in this text, third bullet point, in this text, Logos has the definite article showing it to be the subject of the sentence. Now, our little Greek up there put into English, theos and hologos. See the hologos, the word. Hologos, the word. Hologos. Now, theos then, 
is a predicate nominative describing the nature of the word. Grammatical point. And then in light of the rules of Greek grammar, the word was God is the only correct way to translate the text into English. It's the only way to make what is written in the Greek to be properly translated. It has to be translated this way in the English. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. It, it's not right. It's just wrong. It's just not right. Okay? So, <clears throat> that's it. And seeing that there's no questions, I'll move on to the next point. Yeah, I mean, I can't go back and explain you the exact rules and who, who uh, wrote them, but uh, <clears throat> I know some of, the, some of the real biggies, you know, Dana and Mantley and many others, uh, this is it. This is how they all see it. Now, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Basically, what this is doing is restating what has already been said, restating his eternal existence. He was in the beginning with God. He was there. When the beginning happened, he was there. And just a restatement of that same passage, or the same point. Now, verse 3 describes him as the creator, which is another incommunicable attribute of God. Now, human beings can make stuff. We can't create stuff like he did, speak it into existence. <laughs> All right. We can't do it. We can't do it. He can't. That's obviously an incommunicable attribute of God. <clears throat> we'll, come back to, we'll come back to that. We'll go to the Colossians verse in a, in a moment. But verse 4, where it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of of men. Now when we talk about life, we, we need to understand life in its fullest sense, both physical and spiritual. Okay? In him was life. He had the power of life on the, both on the physical and the spiritual. Now, our first now he is not only creator of all physical life, and I want to start with the physical life first. But he also sustains all physical life. Now let's go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. We saw in verse 3 where he was the creator. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. And this is one of those, what I like to call the great chapter 1s when you're wanting to talk about the deity of Christ. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. I mean, they all describe him uh, as being the creator and, in fact, God. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 say, For by him all things, that's speaking of Christ, by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That all things hold together. Again, <clears throat> everything that were created, both in the heavens and on earth, we're talking the universe and everything in them, the universe and everything in it. And where it talks about whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, we're talking in the angelic world as well. All of it was created by Jesus Christ. And you know what? 
by him and for him. For him. When he assumes the visible role that we all believers will see one day as being king of kings and lord of lords, he will be king of kings and lord of lords over all of it. All of it. All that he created. In verse 17, I especially like this one in, in our day and age. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. Those that foolishly think that man can change the weather, that to me is is the height of human arrogance. Oh yeah, we can change the weather. Mm Mm-hmm, right. No, they don't know who's in control. God's in control. Christ is in control. He keeps this whole thing together, and and I don't care what man does, they're not going to change it. Man is not going to bring the earth to destruction, period. Ain't going to happen, technical term. Not going to happen. Man does not have the power. Man could not create a big enough bomb to do it, because God's in control. We have dominion to take care of it. It's unfortunate we don't do a very good job, but that is a far cry from destroying the earth. Man is not going to do it. Hebrews 1-2, again, speaking of Christ, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, and he is the radiance of, the, of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and, again, speaking of Christ, and upholds all things by the word of his power. Again, that's speaking of Christ upholds all thing by the word of his power. That same creative power that spoke it into existence keeps it running. That's why the planets don't, don't go flying off. That's why gravity keeps us here under, you know, you, you talk about, you know, Mother Nature and, and all that. You want to know Mother Nature? Jesus is Mother Nature. All right. He's the reason for all the um, <clears throat> laws of science. He is the one that makes the laws of science laws and something that's real, you know. I mean, he's the one that keeps the solar system moving. You can literally set your watch by it. You set time by it. It's that exact. He, that's him. That's his, that's his control. That's him. That's his power. That's his power. And now, not only physical, but he is also the source of all spiritual life as well. And we'll probably end up closing with these. It's all right here in John chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> what we have on the back half looks like we'll do that uh, next week. John 3, verses 14 through 16. Very famous portion of Scripture here. This is that, uh, uh, whoop, I'm in Hebrews. i got to go back up into John. I went to Hebrews 3. Thought I got there a little quick. <laughs> okay, three fourteen through sixteen. Remember, this is that conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus, right? And he says, "As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up." And we know that's in uh, referring to his being lifted up on the cross. Okay, so that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. Eternal life is in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever 
whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And again, John 3.16 is often quoted, but it's always good to back up to 14. Pick, put 14 and 15 in there with it. I mean, it gives the reason. It's not, you know. <clears throat> and then 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Again, that's no small statement. You notice there where it says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey. Hmm, isn't that interesting? Matter of fact, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is a command. When I don't have time to go back, you go back to the beginning of verse 3, where Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, says, Jesus, you must be born again. That's, not, that's a non-optional statement. You go back in, in the beginning of John 3 where the conversation opens up. So Nicodemus, you must be born again. Period. Um, and then, like I say, that's a, that's a command. That's, not, that's, that's, that's a non-optional statement. This, this is what has to happen. Or you know, you're toast in more ways than one. Now, John 6.40. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. That, that may is actually, the English word may kind of, it's actually stronger than that. It should be he who believes in him will have eternal life. Okay? And I myself, that's Jesus speaking here, I myself will raise him up on the last day. So right there, he's got saving power on top of resurrection power. And speaking of that, John chapter 11, and we're just, I'm just going to wrap it up with these verses here. Probably, I'll just wrap it up here right here in, in chapter 11. He's speaking to Martha. Remember Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus is about to raise from the dead. I'll, let me back up. We're talking, Martha's talking. Let me back up to verse 21. Let's take, get the whole account here. Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, <clears throat> I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise up again in the resurrection on the last day. Little, little note right here. Where did Martha get that information? The Old Testament. It's in there. <laughs> it's in there. See, the Old Testament saints, yeah, New Testament wasn't written yet. So the Old Testament saints, the real, the, 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 they knew, they knew about the resurrection. They knew about the final resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. In him is life. In him is life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Physical death, no problem for the believer. You will rise and have eternal life with Christ forever. And verse 26, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. That is one heavy-duty statement. 
That is a statement of faith. Let's, and that's a great place to close. So let's do that. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for those saints that have gone before us, like Martha, who gave that tremendous statement of faith. Again, Lord, may everyone here have that same faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.